you might not be aware of it. I frankly wasn't as aware of it as you would think I would be, but it occurred to me um, because of some things going on in the office that um, I work mainly on the ministry staff with millennials. The, the, the vast majority, and I really mean that, of those on our ministry staff are of the millennial generation. We have one boomer, and then we have two very old Gen Xers, just almost boomers, and then uh, we have a very, a very young Gen Xer, and then everybody else is millennials. And the reason that this came to mind for me is because what I have deduced is that millennials are super big fans of a television show called The Office. The Office. Uh, raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about? The Office. All right, a lot of you all know about The Office. They're big fans of that. And the reason I know they're big fans of that is because in almost any situation, the millennial staff members that we have are quoting to me uh, scenes uh, from The Office. And so you'll forgive me uh, for going here when I found out that our, our message series to start a brand new church year was going to be on our core values, the things that make us who we are as Blue Valley. You'll forgive me that a quote came to mind. Uh, the, my, it was uh, something Michael Scott, who's the worst boss in the world, uh, in fact, so weird, he makes me nervous on the show. I can't watch the show. Um, but he's saying to his nemesis who has brought up something that he's doing, which is ridiculous, he says to him, why are you the way that you are? Well, it frustrates him that Toby Flenderson is the way he is. I hope in finding out why we are the way we are does, does not frustrate you at all. Frankly, if it frustrated you very much, you probably wouldn't be here this morning. But values are things that we never think about that inform almost everything that we do. That's true of us as individuals. It's also true of us as a church. So our goal with this brief four-week series of messages at the outset of a church year is to make you aware of the things at Blue Valley that make us the way we are. Now, we've grouped uh, our 12 core values, which can be found under the About Us section of our church website, into four broad categories. And the first group that we are going to tackle this morning are those values related to church health. And to help us step into that discussion, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26, which I hope you found in your copy of God's Word. Would you stand, please, as we honor its reading this morning? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, 
God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. May God add a blessing to the reading of His Word. You may be seated. Now, if you've been part of church culture for very long at all, you're probably familiar with this passage. And even if you are not uh, familiar with church culture, you're familiar with this metaphor. The, the idea of a corporate entity being viewed as a body is something that we find all over the place. And here, Paul is using the human body as a metaphor for the church, and he's using that metaphor to make three points in the first point found in verses 12 through 14, he's communicating what is really his main point. The church is Christ's body, and we are all made members of it through the work and activity of the Holy Spirit in saving us. Paul says, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Both are just really different ways of saying that the, the spirit at our salvation incorporates us into the body of Christ. So Paul is making the point that the church, both in its universal uh, application here on planet earth and in its local application, like at Blue Valley, the church is Christ's body, that it is unified in this identity as Christ's body. But he's also making a statement at the same time that it's diverse because Paul says that the body is many members. His meaning being that just like the human body has many parts, Christ's body has many parts. Now, how's that so? Well, he explains that in his second main point in verses 15 through 20. He says, just as the human body isn't composed of just one thing, Christ's body isn't composed of just one thing. Physically, we aren't, for instance, one big giant head. Although, physically, I make a run at that. I, I, I could be considered one big giant head. Instead, we are one body with eyes and noses and ears and hands and feet and fingers and toes. And each has its own purpose. And just as the human body needs all of its parts to fulfill their own purposes, the church needs all of its parts, its members, fulfilling their purpose. But the final point that Paul makes is that the human body needs all of its parts fulfilling the purposes for which those individual parts were intended, and yet at the same time working together. In verses 21 through 26, he says that one part of the human body can't simply dismiss 
another part of the human body. And the same is true of the body of Christ. One part of the body of Christ can't view itself as more essential or conversely. One part of the body of Christ can't view itself as being less essential than any other part of the body because a human body needs all of its parts working together to fulfill its purpose, and the church, the body of Christ, needs all parts of its body, you and me, fulfilling our purpose in order for it to fulfill its purpose on earth. Now, let's think about that for a minute. When I was a new pastor, new to the role of pastor, one of the biggest gatherings of pastors that occurred every year occurred at a a place called Willow Creek Community Church in suburban Chicago, and it was called the Leadership Summit. I went several years because that's what you did when you were my age in the mid-90s and were wanting to find out more about how to be a better pastor. The Leadership Summit, this is difficult, track with me here, focused on leadership. But uh, looking back, it really did more than focus on leadership. It, it elevated the idea of leadership to celebrity status. The gist of things was that it really didn't matter what else or, by extension, who else the church had. As long as it had an alpha leader, the kind described and celebrated at the leadership summit, but which I came to learn as I dug deeper, surprisingly isn't described or celebrated in the Bible. If you had that kind of leader... You could conquer the world. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that there has been an explosion of stories since the 90s of toxic leaders going completely off the rails and destroying their churches and their families out of that conference, including the leader who organized the conference in the first place because a culture was created out of that. If you are a podcast listener and haven't done so already, I would strongly encourage you to make a lot of time to listen to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Julie and I binged that while I was on sabbatical last fall and we were uh, doing some traveling. It's an episodic autopsy of what happens when one part, in this case a leader of the body of Christ, elevates itself in importance and actually elevates itself in necessity to all the other parts of the body of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that leadership isn't necessary for the healthy functioning of a church. I'm just saying, and more importantly, I think Paul is saying in the last verses of our passage that all people of all gifting, those who are leaders and those who aren't, and not just one kind of people and one kind of gifting, are necessary to the healthy functioning of the body of Christ. So here's the summary of those verses that I read a moment ago. Paul, the man who wrote them, is teaching, number one, the church is the body of Christ. Number two, he is saying each Jesus follower making up the body has a specific purpose. And three, he's saying each Jesus follower making up the body needs the other parts of the body of Christ. So then a healthy church is ferociously dedicated to its identity, not by what it's on the building, 
but by its identity as the body of Christ. A healthy church is comprised of persons who are fulfilling their purpose in the body of Christ, and a healthy church is a church that has a culture where the members understand the value of each individual member, no matter how visible or invisible that member might be. And so with all of that in mind, what does Blue Valley value that accomplishes the goal for us of being a healthy church? There are three from our 12 we've identified. They're long. They're not meant to be things that you memorize, although, you know, you get bonus points if you do. (laughs) First, because the local church should be a healthy body, we value plurality and leadership. That facilitates our church's focus on Christ as the head of the church and creates a culture of leadership development. Remember, a healthy church never loses sight of its fundamental identity that it is Christ's body. Unfortunately, many churches who are our theological kin have an organizational structure that works against that identity. That's because many churches like ours vest their leadership entirely in one person, the capital letters, pastor. Now, most churches that have that kind of organizational structure attempt to put some accountability bumpers around the capital letter pastor. But most of those bumpers are, quite frankly, pretty easy to blow through if the pastor has much tenure. And I say that as someone who's been here longer than 15 years. And it doesn't take long for the pastor and at times the congregation to begin to think that the church belongs to the pastor, and it is his flock. For the first nine years that I was pastor at Blue Valley, I had very broad authority to get done whatever I felt like needed to get done in the the least amount of time as possible. Now, We have to understand that I came to Blue Valley out of an era of our church where there was a catastrophic, not so much a split, but just a fracturing in a thousand different directions, born primarily of no one really allowing anybody to actually get anything done. And so this church, wanting to move out of that, revisited how they did things and came up with a structure where with some accountability, a singular pastor was vested with broad operational authority to be able to get things done. That's what I inherited. And just to be really honest, I mean, it worked. I mean, we had a lot of things that we needed to get done in a very short amount of time when I came here 15 years ago, and that continued for several years. But I never felt like it was good long-term for me as a Jesus father. I just never did. 
I was never comfortable with it, nor did I feel like it was good long-term for our church to stay in that leadership structure, mainly because the New Testament repeatedly refers to a leadership structure called elders that work toward making sure the church maintains its identity not as belonging to someone, but as belonging to Christ. And it never, not once, refers to a singular pastor the way we talk about that in modern life. That's why in 2016, our church almost unanimously approved transitioning leadership from a singular pastor to elders. And so now, a a group of 15 men, both vocational pastors who make their living serving the church and lay pastors shepherd our church. Not one person shepherds our our church. So while I lead the elders, when it comes to decisions the elders make, I only have one vote and I therefore have no more authority than say Pastor Jonathan or uh, Jeremy Murphy, both of whom you may have noticed are noticeably younger than I am which highlights one of the benefits of raising up laymen to have real pastoral authority in the church. It creates a culture that develops future leaders. That means there will be a constant flow of leaders ready to step up as older elders like myself reach the point of needing to step away, which we'll hopefully realize before you have to show us the door. (laughs) But What's to keep this group of 15 men from treating the church like it's their church, congregation? Though we are led by elders, anything of real consequence that the elders feel led to do has to be approved by the church. In fact, there's a provision in our bylaws which say to the elders, even if our bylaws don't explicitly say the church should decide these things, if you think the church should decide these things, you can call a vote for it. As a matter of fact, the church now makes more decisions that require church approval than they did with the organizational structure that I arrived here, that I inherited 15 years ago. The goal is that with the congregation following elders' leadership and the elders remaining accountable in a real way to the congregation, that we will all remember that the church doesn't belong to me, it doesn't belong to you, it doesn't belong to whatever uh, sign is on the facade of our church. It belongs to Christ. This is His church. So we value a plurality of leadership in keeping our local church a healthy body. Next, Because the local church should be a healthy body, we value systems and policies that provide support for complex ministry. And I get it. You hear me say that and you think, yawn. I mean, who wants to talk about that kind of stuff? But let's think about it for a minute. Church life was pretty simple when I became the pastor of Leoma Baptist Church in rural Leoma, Tennessee, back in the mid-90s. We had one building, we had one Sunday school, we had a Sunday morning service, we had a Sunday night service, we had a Wednesday night service, which existed for reasons I never quite discerned, but we had one. We had a handful of committees, we had one copy machine, we had one secretary, we had one pastor, little old me. 
But at Blue Valley, we have five different Sunday school hours and six different worship services spread across two campuses and one mission. That mission uses an entirely different language in their worship and meeting and interacting with one another than the other two campuses. We have multiple staff, we have multiple buildings, we have multiple programs, and we have a multi-million dollar budget. And everything is so interconnected that we've taken to calling it on staff a Jenga tower. If you've ever played that game, you get the idea. If you randomly just start tugging on one part of that tower, multiple other areas that you may not have ever thought about are affected and may actually bring the whole thing crashing down. So how do we manage that level of complexity in the church that God has led us to become? Well, as careful as we can through systems and policies, some of which existed when I got here 15 years ago, but most of which have been created by Pastor David and our administrative staff over the years, and all of which are constantly revisited, tweaked, and assessed. Those of us who have been at Blue Valley for a long time take them for granted, but it's always interesting watching somebody come to our staff from outside of the Blue Valley universe and encounter those things for the first time. It, we've, we've seen the deer in headlights look with new staff members in staff meeting when they begin to figure out all of the things that you have to do just to be able to get things done in a proper, orderly way. First, there's just shock. I can't believe that this is required. And then, once they realize they actually have to do those things, there's frustration. Why do I have to do this? It seems that we ought to be able to just do X and get it over with. But then it inevitably moves to appreciation. I've had former staff reach out to me unsolicited after it was over and say, in my new place, I find myself thinking, well, this would be easier if we just did things like Blue Valley does things. In fact, one of the people that didn't like all of this was overwhelmed and shocked by it when he got here many years ago was Pastor Micah Hayes, who's our Ridgeview campus pastor. When he came to Blue Valley, he was the youth minister at the Antioch campus, and he went through all of those kinds of things. And yet, when it came time for the discussion where we're talking through the things we value as a church, he was the one that shot up his hand and said, we value these things, and it's good. He's an advocate for them now. Now, you probably don't notice them, but occasionally I'll hear somebody in the church say, we do things right, or we're organized, or we do things a certain way at Blue Valley. All three of those things, by the way, I've heard lay people say unsolicited in the last six months, which shows that while we may not think about it a lot, we do tend to appreciate how things are done around here. So how does this lead to a healthy church? Well, Two things, it minimizes conflict and it protects us from corruption. It avoids a situation where ministries are stepping on one another and it avoids corruption. For instance, we have set up systems here at Blue Valley where four different internal groups, David in the finance office, the elders, the deacons and the finance team, four different internal groups, monitor the finances at all times, and they are kept accountable 
by three different external groups who are monitoring the finances all the time and who essentially, because they exist in the relationship they have with us as a church, keep us in a 365-day-a-year audit. The purpose for those things existing is not to reduce the opportunity for shenanigans to zero. You can't do that. But it would be almost impossible to have something go corrupt there. We do these things, we value these things, because all of us know the catastrophe that can come to a church when ministries get sideways on one another or corruption sets in. Finally, the local church should be a healthy body, and so we value a strong understanding of church membership and believe that it carries with it both a responsibility and a privilege. Remember our text from the day. A healthy church requires each member understanding their purpose and doing their part. That's why we take church membership so seriously. How seriously? Well, seriously enough that our church removed hundreds of people from our membership roles just a few weeks ago at our annual meeting because many of them hadn't been here in years. And when we reached out to them to say, what are your wishes related to your church membership, they didn't even bother to check back in with us. It illustrates, I think, an alarming trend in 21st century America. Most people who claim to follow Christ don't have a strong understanding of membership or even think they need the church to follow Jesus. The day I was writing this message, an email arrived in my inbox with a study that showed that a large portion of those who claim to be committed to their relationship to Christ don't attend church even once a month. I want to make sure you heard what I just said. On a survey... Would you say that you are committed to your relationship to Christ? Yes. Do you, tend, do you attend church at least once a month? No. Every generation from boomers to Generation Z failed to register any better than 50% of those who said, I have a genuine commitment to Christ And I also, in response to that, go to church at least once a month. The only generation that registered better than 50% of those claiming a commitment to Christ and attending church once a month were those of the quickly disappearing silent generation. Everybody else, the boomers, coin flip, falls off the map from there. What does this show? That people falsely believe that they can have a robust commitment to Christ apart from the church. That idea cannot be reconciled to 1 Corinthians 12, nor can the idea of being able-bodied in good health with no risk factors and continuing to worship online be reconciled to what we see in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, We are never going to get back as the American church to pre-pandemic levels of attendance because people who are fully capable of attending 
have started to think that online is just as good as going to church. So they watch at home and then make a guest appearance every several weeks. Being a part of a local body of Christ is a privilege and a responsibility. And you, as an individual follower of Jesus, will not function properly. And the church, as an entity, will not function properly. And I'm sorry, Toes, but your kids, whose activities are prioritized more than church, won't value their church or their faith when they become adults without all of us becoming much much more than simply someone who attends church periodically. So, those are our church health values. So now what? What can you do to build these values into your life? Well, here's what I want us to do. I want us for the next week, between today and next Sunday morning, I want us to go through daily a little prayer exercise that I've devised to help drill these values down into our heart. Today, we're going to start it, and it's simple. If you just remember the words, ask, appreciate, and assess. Ask, appreciate, and assess. Ask, appreciate, and assess. You'll be able to do what I'm going to lead us in doing right now. So you can put your Bibles up, put your ribbons back where they're supposed to go, set that to the side, Make your kind of little quiet space and bow your heads, all of us, and let's go to the Lord in prayer and allow me, if you would please, to just guide us through this prayer exercise in the hopes that you'll do it every day this week. Quietly before the Lord, hear me. Today we learned that we value a plurality of leadership instead of placing the focus on one central leader. That's why we have a group of vocational pastors and lay pastors called elders, and then deacons, and then Sunday school teachers who all have a role in taking care of our church right now and every day this week. I want you to ask God to guide our elders as they attempt to shepherd His flock. As we continue, today we learned that we value systems and policies that help us manage a complex ministry. So take right time right now to appreciate the effort many go through to make sure things run smoothly at Blue Valley in a way that honors the Lord. Just thank God that we've not been in conflict for a generation of church life. Finally, today we've learned that we value a strong understanding of membership. Take time right now to assess if your efforts at membership reflect a strong understanding. In other words, given the importance of the individual member that is stressed in 1 Corinthians 12, could any other organization that you are a key part of be successful in their mission if you modeled there your current commitment to church? 